0: Hello everybody, I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon, and we're the Old Dogs. If you've got about 20 minutes, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the Old Dogs ramble about losing the stigma around buying things used. We warn you about the coming invasion of the cicadas. We test your memory with another what year was it. We note the growing acceptance of buying used, we discover that coin flips aren't totally random, and we take note of the trend in old folks still working. The Old Dog's conversation is with Betty Buckley, who's going to tell us all about how movies are made. Stay with us. Well, Paul, it's time for me to ask you what's on your mind. And it never gets boring. mm
1: Um, What's on my mind is a pod nugget from our current episode um, that talks about an experiment that a columnist did to try to buy everything he needed online and used. So, you know, that started me thinking, we waste a tremendous amount of money with this kind of prejudice against used, uh, let's say, electronics or used... Uh, kitchenware or maybe used socks. <laughs> who knows <laughs> uh, but it, it number one it cuts down on the landfill and and number two it, it's a savings for folks on a fixed income like you and me. okay so yeah, yeah I'm a, I'm a strong advocate on buying things used.
0: All right and you sir uh, I have been to pawn shops. Uh, on occasion to buy certain kinds of electronic equipment, you know, like a stereo amplifier and speakers, because uh, I'm... you to pawn your wife's jewelry, probably. <laughs> no, I don't do that. How about we talk about you? So what do you buy that's used? I'm curious.
1: Well, um, for one thing, it, it used to be kind of fun for my wife and I to hit garage sales, estate sales, ones that looked interesting, books i will always buy used books mm-hmm. um i have bought a, a reconditioned electronics what else have i done well you know antique stores i used to love to go oh, in and sure. antique yeah well, now I, that's used merchandise i know
0: but i don't think of that as used frankly yes we've been to lots of antique stores especially earlier in our married life but I think, you know, the kind of thing you're talking about here, Paul, for the most part, is not by necessity, but by, well, oh, sometimes it's whimsy, and sometimes it's just because you can find interesting stuff that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of people in that sort of situation have to buy them used. Uh, and, the, for example, thrift shops have become very very successful now because people need to go to thrift shops to buy sometimes very ordinary things like a set of dishes. I think what's at at
1: root here is the concept of used. You know, it's pejorative. Mm-hmm. It's it it indicates that uh, you're on your last legs. You have to buy used. And uh, the truth of the matter is that if if it is in good shape, uh, it makes a lot of sense to buy a used article rather than new. Certainly. Well, you know, I I think the truth is it's just a matter of folks on a fixed income not feeling any kind of shame for saving money through buying something that they want or need on the, on the resale market.
0: Yeah. I got to tell you, Paul, that I don't have a any sense of shame uh, about the idea of buying used or having seeing other people buying things used okay we well, should good. get rid of that stigma entirely we
1: agree let you and I go out second-hand shopping this afternoon
0: okay I'll be looking for groceries
1: The New York Times has reported on something unusual happening in cicada land this spring. If you're unfamiliar with the insects, cicadas are very noisy but harmless creatures. They emerge from the ground, make a
0: lot of noise, mate, and die after about four weeks. The most fascinating type is the periodical cicada. These beasties can stay underground for as long as 17 years before they emerge. For the first time since 1803... Two large periodical cicada groups are set to appear at the same time.
1: The northern Illinois brood has a 17-year cycle, and the great southern brood has a 13-year cycle. If you do the math, these two broods emerge at the same time every 221 years. This will likely result in more than a trillion cicadas appearing in a
0: 16-state region running from north to south. So what, you might say? (laughs) Well, there's nothing to be done. The mating noise will be louder, and there will be a lot of cicada carcasses littering the ground. But the correct response may be sympathy for their short life above ground. Our trivia challenge in this episode is, what year was it? We will give you selected events from the year, and you guess which year it was. During this year, the Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo, was captured. Dr. Martin Luther King received the Nobel Peace Prize. A popular movie was Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. The Warren Commission report on the assassination of JFK concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone.
1: Oh, sure. Hasbro's G.I. Joe showed up on
0: toy shelves. President Lyndon Johnson declared a war on poverty. Japan opened its first bullet train. Cassius Clay became the heavyweight champion of the world by beating Sonny Liston in six rounds.
1: Got it yet? Here's a final clue that should give it away. On February 9th, the Beatles made their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, setting a viewing record of 73 million
0: viewers. Yep, the year was 1964. Cutting-edge fashion included men's shirt jacks and cardigan blazers, and for the women, tie-collared dresses and ruffled shirts. And you were there. Washington Post
1: columnist Michael Cohen posed a challenge to himself. For one month,
0: everything he bought, he would find used and online. Here are some examples. He found a used wooden train set for his son on eBay, a used set of salad tongs on Mercari, and a used fishing rod at Goodwill. He found a great number of resources that channeled used and returned merchandise back to the marketplace.
1: In the past, garage sales and secondhand stores were the main resources for used merchandise. As purchases gravitated to the Internet, Craigslist and eBay were the biggest game in town. Today there were dozens of companies competing to resell goods online.
0: Buying other folks' returns or cast-offs makes financial and ecological sense if you can get past the stigma of buying used. If you want to give it a try, go to the Google Shopping site, then enter Used Items in the search feature. Who knows what you will find? This note from the Interesting Facts website about coin flipping, the time-honored tradition for making decisions. We are very familiar with the NFL using a coin toss to determine the opening kickoff.
1: Ah, but the tradition of using a coin to settle personal disputes goes way back to Roman times. It's a simple process. You choose a coin side and then flip the coin. The one that guesses correctly
0: wins. The process seems fair, except... Except the physics of how a coin flips through the air is not simple. By exploring this complicated motion, scientists have discovered that coin flips are not as random as they appear. A 2023 study by the University of Amsterdam
1: involved flipping (laughs) 350,757 coins that must have been boring. (laughs) The results showed that a coin landed on its starting position 50.8% of the time. In other words, if the starting coin position is heads up, there is a slight likelihood that the coin will also land heads up.
0: Of course, the way to negate this slight advantage is to hide the starting position of the coin, or find another more reliable way to make decisions, such as paper, stone, and scissors. According
1: to the Washington Post, the percentage of Americans over 65 who are still working has doubled in the last 35 years, and the older workers tend
0: to be better educated with a college degree. Well, there are several reasons that people are staying longer in the workforce. Older Americans are healthier than in the past and less likely to have disabilities. Another factor is that people retiring now must wait until they're 67 to collect full Social Security benefits. Additionally, many companies have scrapped fixed pensions and replaced them
1: with 401ks. And unfortunately, these flexible contribution plans are linked to the stock market and other investments. How much money you have for retirement depends on the economic cycle.
0: It may be good for the economy to have more older workers in the labor force, but the reasons to keep working vary widely. Those at the bottom of the income scale and those at the top are the most likely to stay working. Lower-income Americans have to keep working, while wealthier folks want to.
1: Nearly half of adults between 55 and 65 had no personal retirement savings as of 2017 which makes it difficult to stop working. In many cases, these folks are tired, they're poor, and you know they have no choice.
0: Betty Buckley has spent most of her life in the production business. In the 90s, she produced the popular PBS series, Wishbone. In recent years, she's turned to filmmaking, as well as lecturing about it at Texas State University. Her latest project, The Stars at Night, explores the connections between astronomy, mythology, and storytelling, and the impact that light pollution has had on them and us humans. To get us started, would you mind giving us sort of an overview of
1: your move from city to city? I know Dallas is in there, Houston is in there. You probably did some time in Los Angeles, I'm guessing.
2: Um, Actually, uh, the only place you've mentioned that I haven't lived is Houston. I've worked there for sure. I um, was born in South Texas, grew up in Denver, moved to Dallas, and um, I really wanted to get out of school, so I graduated at SMU and then just started working in the industry there in Dallas, which was mainly TV commercials at at the beginning, the big TV commercial market, you know. But I was fortunate enough to start working on movies, so um, I worked on a lot of different projects in Dallas, including, well, many movies, and then I started producing, and I ended up, I guess my most well-known project is a children's television series I produced in Dallas in the 90s called Wishbone, which was a PBS show. It was really popular in the day, and actually Mattel, those people behind Barbie, are making a movie of Wishbone, because they own the property now.
1: And so, how did you end up teaching? What was that transition?
2: Okay, well, uh, my career took me from uh, Dallas to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and then to San Antonio. And at Raleigh, I was an executive producer for a nonfiction television production company. And then same thing in San Antonio. and then um, and then I got an offer my colleague of mine the film commissioner tom copeland who started the film concentration program at texas state and he was looking for someone to teach budgeting and scheduling and so i started doing that in addition to you know my freelance work in 2017 and that just grew from there
0: and what do you teach now
2: i teach uh, the business of film i teach two sections of that which is really teaches my students how to you know break into the industry and the skills needed for that. And then I also teach producing because I, I just wrote and directed my first documentary feature, but I think of myself primarily as a producer.
0: You know, Betty, nobody knows exactly what a producer is. You know, when you see the credits in a film, you say, what the heck is this producer stuff? What do they do? They got to <laughs> smoke cigars for one
1: thing. I know that.
2: That's right. Uh, we want to know what a producer does. You were right. The producer title is one of the most misused title in the industry. It's really what I believe is one of the reasons behind. Uh, if you look at the credits, you'll see someone's name is producer comma PGA. They're a member of the producers guild of America because they're uh, people would give away the title. But a producer literally is the person that goes from idea to being finished and sold and on, you know, in the theaters or uh, broadcast on television. Then there's the line producer that is, and I spent most of my career doing this, where someone says, okay, we have $2 million. We need you to make a movie here. And I hire the, that comes with the director and the script, of course, uh, and maybe a producer. But as a line producer, I create the budget. I create the schedule. I hire all the crew. And then I manage the process of the film Uh, schedule, production, all the people, you know, managing all those people, but primarily the budget. So that once, and then I take that film as a line producer through uh, the end of shooting, and then the producer takes it, the one that found the money, takes it through editing and and selling the movie to a distributor or a broadcaster or streamer.
1: So what is the hardest part of putting together a package? Finding the money or... Coming up with the idea.
2: And I would say the creative people have no problem coming up with an idea. The problem is finding the money, right? Right. And then the next problem is making the movie and making sure that it's a good movie and you've picked a great idea with a wonderful script, a terrific cast. And then the next biggest challenge is selling the movie and and actually making a profit.
0: Hmm. Well, Betty, despite that uh, obvious challenge, uh, if you go to Netflix or Prime or Hulu or anything else and you browse through the movies, you can see dud after dud after dud. You know, tomato meter 20, tomato meter 12. You wonder, how did they get the money to produce those turkeys?
2: <laughs> the, well, in s- most respects, 99% of the time, nobody really sets out to make a bad movie, right? But it does start with the script. So if you don't have a good script, it might even be a great concept, but a poor script um, it's just going to fall flat. And sometimes the people that have the money to greenlight, you know, maybe don't have the taste. Brian Grazer, who is, you know, everybody knows Ron Howard. Very few people know Brian Grazer. He's Ron Howard's producer, and he says the number one thing you need as a producer is good taste, is being able to find that sort of zeitgeist of great story that's going to make money. And that is really not an easy thing to do. That's why a lot of studios and streamers and buyers and so forth are looking to develop ideas and movies or television shows, streaming shows around IP, and by that I mean an existing book. Or a fabulous podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Old Dogs, the movie.
1: Do you prefer the creative side where you are involved in a production, or do you really enjoy the teaching?
2: You know, I enjoy uh, all of it, but I really enjoy teaching right now, mainly because I love my students. I feel like they keep me young, and they are so excited and aspirational the you know they're seeing the future and I like being a part of that whereas um the the physicality of making a a movie is is really demanding Mm -hmm. so one of the things I teach in the business of film is that a typical day you know work day is not eight hours or 10 hours it's 12 or 14 so for me right now in my life I love teaching because the other thing is, is it allows me the winter break and the summer break to make my own films, to make my own projects, and, and, and collaborate with my students and my former students. Hmm.
1: And the class you teach is is strictly producing, right? You're not getting into acting or directing. It's putting the projects together. Is that correct?
2: It's the same. It's the same whether you're an actor. It's the same whether you're uh, you're an aspiring director. It's Kind of the same if you're a screenwriter. It's all—it's really all about networking and, you know, meeting the kinds of people that can lead you or refer you to the kind of job that you want.
0: If that's the uh, case, is please. there really uh, what you would call an, an opportunity for these kids? I mean, we all in the business, geez, how are they ever going to get a job? There's, it's so crowded. There's so many people trying to get to where you're going uh, how does that still work? Is there hope?
2: Well, actually, I think there's great hope because we are a society that is voraciously consuming stories in all its form, and you guys are one of those forms. So we love storytelling on streaming, on television, on you know, in the movies, and and podcasts, and in TikTok, and all kinds of different platforms and that's just growing it's a kind of a golden age because there's a lot of content depending on what you're really interested in you can create all kinds of content you know and and storytelling but you know the kind that's really compelling that that really resonates that's not so easy yeah
1: well you know the the uh, terms and titles that are used on a movie set are rather arcane there's a best boy and a key grip and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth uh how about you do a little interpretation for us what do those terms mean
2: well I actually married a key grip so I'll start there uh (laughs) my husband is a key grip I wish I could show you a picture of him on my wall where he worked for Jim Henson there's him with Cookie Monster he once said that a key grip puts the motion in motion picture so it's, the key grip is a department head. Movies, uh, companies, and the structure is made up of departments. Everybody knows screenplay and actors and directors, and you've heard of producers, even though that's confusing. Um, but when you get to lighting, there's two different departments that work for the cinematographer, also sometimes called the DP or director of photography. And one of those departments is the lighting, electric. And that's the head of that department, the gaffer then the best boy or the second electric and then the head the other head of lighting is the key grip so the the lighting people literally they call them the juicers they plug in the lights you know and then the the gaffer will measure the light with the light meter direct the crew and then the key grip deflects the light right diffuses the light or his team her team their team um diffuses the light deflects the light and any kind of motion that you see uh you see someone you know uh racing by a field of cows you know and it's just just the camera's moving really fast that it that's probably a dolly shot that's a grip department if you see a camera on the front of a roller coaster and you see that whole point of view rigging that camera is the grip department so uh, if you see a crane shot so it really is true. They put the motion in, in motion picture so and and then together these two groups work with the cinematographer to create the lighting, to create the magic.
1: Well, if you know of any openings for the guy that plugs things in, I I'm interested.
2: <laughs> okay. I think
1: I can <laughs> handle that one.
0: <laughs> Betty, something that I think is pretty relevant right now is about age discrimination. Have you, as a producer, experienced anything like that?
2: Yeah, it's definitely there. It's a it it's a youth culture that we live in. Uh the movies definitely celebrate a youth culture. I think some of that is changing. Um, you know, you're seeing it, you know, more films like um Eighty for Brady and things like that.
1: Betty, how long are you gonna be doing
0: this? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, how long are you guys gonna be podcasting?
0: Uh is- how much time do you got today? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm going to be a filmmaker probably for the rest of my life you know Mm -hmm. Norman Lear was still developing projects when he was 100 years old I think that's what I love about teaching uh, I like that energy and excitement for ideas I'm constantly having new things that I want to do and develop and create and I you know so it's not to me like a job per se you know my teaching job is a job I am a teacher but the part of me that's a filmmaker and a creator, I don't think that'll ever really stop. It might shift more toward just writing.
0: Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.